Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Welcome into a very special episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Great to have men's volleyball's Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge again hosted in Happy Valley this year. Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Dean DeVore, the host of this week's podcast, a special guest host, as he welcomes in four of the very best coaches in men's college volleyball for our special men's volleyball roundtable. So here we go. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. We welcome you to Penn State University as we get ready for another version of a roundtable with some of the greatest coaches in college volleyball as we are in the midst of our Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge. We're uh, going to have a, a great time. We've done this a couple of years ago, and we thought now that we're back uh, at volleyball in full strength that we would do it again. I want to introduce the coaches that are with me. My name is Dean DeVore. I'm in the voice of Penn State Volleyball for oh, 25 years or so. And so it is a pleasure for me to be here to do this because not only are these gentlemen uh, um, great volleyball coaches, but in some ways, many of them have become really good friends. And so I want to start down at the end there with uh, Jeff Nygaard. He's in his eighth year as the USC head coach, assistant there for five previous years before that. Jeff's a three-time Olympian, two-time NCAA champion with UCLA, uh, where he was also two-time National Player of the Year. I think the first player to do that, right? Two consecutive years, Jeff? I think allegedly that that's true. That is I, true, I'm pretty right? sure Brian Ivey may have accomplished it as well. Okay. So I'm not quite certain. All right. And then right beside him, his teammate at UCLA for those two national championships, now the head coach of UCLA, John Sparaw, also known as our USA men's volleyball coach has yeah. been so for the last three Olympiads and then was the assistant for the Olympiad before that. John, welcome. Thanks, Dean. Great to be here. It was fun doing this last time. So excited to hear the conversation. And Kevin Birch is next. Kevin from Ohio State. You know, I, we, we've talked about this. I've known Kevin. So Kevin played at Ohio State. Um, then he went away and started doing, um, well, you were, what, assistant coach, a volunteer at, at, at Ohio State. Then you went to Springfield, where they won an NCAA championship. Then you uh, spent a year at UC, Ir UC Irvine, and they won a national championship. Then you went to Springfield again. They won another national championship. Then you came here to Penn State as our director of volleyball operations for the women. They won a championship. And then went back as an assistant coach to Ohio State, won two championships, which I announced both those, so I was the good luck charm. So Kevin's uh, seen a lot of great volleyball. Kevin, welcome. Thank you. you just prove it's better to be lucky than good well and maybe of being around me and some other great people and finally our host for this weekend he's been involved in all aspects of penn state men's volleyball as a player assistant coach head coach and he's one of the most winning and most respected coaches in the sport mark pavlik 29 years now as the head coach of the nittany lions here in 2023 you've been around the block my friend you've seen it all yeah i'm a little bit worried the last time we did this if you guys remember was january of 2020 it was probably the mm. super spreader event. So uh, <laughs> I, think, I think we probably should get out a warning to the National Institute of Health. We're doing it again. Who knows what's going to happen this I week. don't know. We're going to spread a lot of uh, fun and uh, good times. I guess the, the thing that I want to put out there right away is how exciting is it to be part of volleyball right now? It, great growth. Amazing growth. Fastest growing sport 
in America and by a lot of uh, categories. Um, an amazing time for world volleyball, uh, Olympic volleyball, professional volleyball. It's all coming together. This is an exciting time. Let's riff on that. Go ahead. Who's, who's most excited in this room about volleyball right now? Most excited? Yeah. Well, I can jump in on that. I yeah, mean, go ahead. Just to share a snapshot, I go into the NTDP and you see the talent, the physicality, the level. And you know that the future of men's volleyball in America is going in the right direction. And you could even say that for the women's side of the game, too. It's just everywhere you look, you see bigger, better, faster, stronger. And the level and the physicality, the the numbers, and it's across the board. It's not just the players. It's the people getting involved in coaching top to bottom. So it's an exciting time to be around it. Speaking of that, I looked at the rosters. There's only two players out of all the players uh, in this uh, weekend that are under six foot. And I don't think... I remember that, you know, that that's that's an amazing change over the last, what, 10 years? Yeah, I agree with Jeff. They're getting bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, and I think the ball contact that you see at the at at the younger levels is better than it's ever been. And, uh, you know, they're growing. The game is growing. I think we're starting to market the men's game based on physicality now. And I, I think there's just so many different ways that kids can look at the game being played internationally, nationally, collegiately, uh, where they're seeing some just unbelievable physical talent. And I think part of that, John, is the inclusivity of volleyball because, you know, there's this level, there's the high level, but then there's the family-friendly level, too, that we play in our backyards, and then somehow all comes together, and that popularity, I think, helps where people are familiar with the game from their own family and friends, but then they can appreciate the highest levels. Does that make sense? It does. I think we've talked about that for years, how a lot of people play the sport, but are they really connected from an entertainment perspective and coming to the matches and watching these guys play? We've always said if you can get somebody in the gym watching men's volleyball live it's a pretty big hook because people really appreciate the physicality that mark referenced and so i i I agree with you 100 percent, dean there's a lot of momentum here i think for me the most exciting aspect of growth over the last year is within the last year we've we've sanctioned high school championships in seven states wow that's great and so you're seeing this that's a, a way for kids to play they don't have to pay there's access for more and more kids and it's happening organically in a lot of those situations and so I think we're really, really excited about what's happening. And part of that is movement because, you know, it used to be t- the West Coast guys stayed on the West Coast, East Coast mm-hmm. guys stayed on the East Coast. Kevin, you're a, you grew up in California, right? And then you came East to play for Ohio State. You've been all around. So that kind of uh, ability for anybody to play anywhere now in great high-level volleyball is a, is a big key as well, I think. Yeah, I think a lot, of, a lot of it has to do with the media that's, you know, live streamed and making everything accessible. And, you know, I, but I think there's also a lot of people that are – trying to grow the game in different areas. I mean, Ohio is a perfect example. We have 40 new programs, high school programs this year alone because of the work that's gone into to sanction boys volleyball in Ohio. And, you know, we're just one of, like Sparrow said, one of seven new states that are sanctioning now. So the amount of work that's going in is making a, playing a big part in that. Has the, uh, just go around the room on this one too, has the uh, complementary situation now with different kinds of volleyball so you know we've added beach volleyball on the on the women's side uh, collegiately Um, beach volleyball has had its own place it's getting more popular so with these different styles and different things um, is that all playing into the popularity Um, or uh, John is someone who's the coach of our national team in the indoor sport are 
are you seeing benefits of that other style of play uh, with the indoor game? So let, let's start around the room. Let's start with uh, Jeff on some of those thoughts, and we'll come around to John and then Kevin and, and Coach. I could just draw upon my personal experience. For me, having boys volleyball from Wisconsin was the conduit for getting an opportunity to go out to California. And then once you get to California at that point, that opened up the doors for everything that uh, I've been able to do with volleyball. So adding those seven just gives more exposure. And to your point with just beach volleyball, the more volleyball that's out there, the more exposure. Because one of the challenges has always been the perception that men's volleyball is an Olympic-only sport, as if we just have it for the Olympics and then three and a half uh, years uh, between those, it just rolls up and goes away. But the more you have, the more exposure you get. The more you're going to have players, the more the consciousness, the more awareness is going to be in America. So all of these different factors are rolling into what you're uh, alluding to. John, have you seen the, the benefit uh, on the level that you coach uh, for the Olympics and those kinds of things from the uh, from more volleyball uh, appreciation there? Yeah, I think the key term, which has been mentioned a couple times, is just exposure and, and all the means at which young kids can, can watch volleyball. When I was growing up, there was no way to actually watch volleyball. In fact, even when we graduated UCLA, there was no way for me to even get video over to Europe to wow. procure an agent to see if I could go play. I remember how cumbersome that was because I had to actually mail out VHS tapes. And, <laughs> wow. and now a kid can be at home and just pull it up on YouTube or just go through highlights on TikTok and just have reel after reel after reel. And I think it's allowing fans just to see more and more volleyball and Pav could probably talk to it I I understand that a lot of the women's coaches in the Big Ten felt like they're starting to sell out their arenas because of the Big Ten network somebody was sitting at home exposed to volleyball for the first time and thought hey this is something I maybe want to take my family to and now you're seeing it at the international level I think what we've really needed from an exposure perspective is intentional effort and and whether that's through intentional marketing through social media whether that's intentional effort from really professional organizations. What, what CBC Capital did this year, investing into volleyball world with the FIVB and the product that they're, that they're creating and the way that they're doing that, I think is potentially game-changing for our sport. And so we need to, everybody needs to be watching Volleyball World TV and support that effort. It's the biggest thing that's happened to our sport ever. And uh, so, but you talk to my family I mean, they've been around volleyball for a while, but their experience and access to everything I'm doing on the national team isn't even something they've been able to do very much recently. And now they can see every match, and it's produced in a really high-quality way. Very high-quality way, yeah. Yeah, it looks yeah. like an ESPN um, yeah. broadcast, and that's what we've needed. We've needed credibility through professionalism, and I think you're starting to see that now. Kevin, thoughts on all of this right now? Well, I think one of the unique parts about our sport is that we have – you can play in the grass, you can play in the sand. You could, there's multiple different opportunities to start playing the game. I think it's a big reason why it's so big in Southern California, among other reasons, but you can play on the beach and, and pick the game up. So it's exposure, but it's also opportunities to play. There aren't hmm. golf, you can only play on one course, right? You can't, right. you know, same thing with other sports. So I think it's partly unique uh, to us, and I think it's, a, it's something that we've been able to take advantage of and help promote the sport. And I think one of the, <clears throat> one of the more underrated effects that we've we're we're experiencing through this generation you know we've we've talked about how title nine has affected men's volleyball over the years i think we're on a benefit role with title nine last year three of our guys had moms that played volleyball wow you know we had Kenny tubin molly tubin molly driesbach was 
Kentucky national team. We had Charlotte Fisher, Cal's mom, who still holds the career ace record at Eastern Kentucky. Oh, wow. Yeah, 440. Fish is never going to touch that one. No, but he was serving like he was trying last <laughs> he's, night. He's, he's got a minimal amount of time to try to make that yeah, up. He's, that's right. That's why. <laughs> and then, and then uh, on top of that, like I said, we had Tubin, we had Fisher, and we have Will Coons' mom, who was an All-American at Gannon. She still holds the career Gannon kill record. So after Coons got his first kill last year, he was only 1,900 behind his mom. <laughs> but, but I think we're, right. seeing, we're seeing the women that played volleyball you know, at, at the beginning of the Title IX and the growth of the women's game have their sons you know, and say, this is a pretty good game. Come along with us. And it, it, it'd be interesting to see it over the years how that's affected you three, how many moms played the game, and are we getting their sons that have been literally drug along to tournaments since they were this high? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a benefit for us. Defin- definitely. And certainly one of the uh, benefits to me lately has been the ability for college players on both sides, men and women, to go and play internationally and, and really make money, have success, play a long career. And then I think to me, that takes the interest from someone who is a Penn State fan and then gets to follow two or three men on the men's side and two or three women every uh, cycle on the women's side through either uh, international play through Team USA or then to these other uh, teams, which that's all produced now. And you can watch European volleyball and all the leagues, uh, amazing, like an ESPN broadcast. So that to me has been a big boon for this sport and kind of a, a thought where a kid can look at it and say, hey, I have a future that I can do something professionally in volleyball. I didn't know that was uh, existed before. Right, Jeff? I see with the, the landscape when we're talking about the access, you get to see all the professionals, you get to see all the access that's over there. And so it's not just this ethereal thing. So when you're coming up and playing volleyball, you can watch a team in Italy. You can watch a team in Russia. You can watch all the national teams in exposure. And I think it's that planting of the seed of something that's just beyond here's high school, here's your track record to go to college, and then you can go to a national team or international, all that stuff. You can have a legitimate career being a volleyball player as a professional, and you can see what it, even the lifestyle is, but tracking Shoji, tracking Micah, and just seeing how they're living their lives. And so you're getting that mentorship. You're getting that... I can identify, I can watch that player, and I say that's what I want to be and what I want to do. And you could kind of couple that together with the growth of the women's sport and saying what Carrie and Misty were able to do had this groundswell effect as you play it forward as to why there's so much going on with the women's game as well. So just that inclusivity, just that exposure. I mean, we're just using these buzzwords over and over again, but just think about that kid that now has an access to playing high school volleyball in a state that's never afforded it before, and all of a sudden they can say, I can be the next Micah Christensen, and there's that pathway and how to do it and what it looks like. And there's even probably a connectivity. You could probably reach out to Micah, and he'd even just have a conversation with you. Absolutely. They're very accessible and very, and very friendly, and that, that's, that's the hallmark of volleyball. It's a, the friendliest sport I know, but we can talk about that in another segment. But, John, riff on this. Uh, I think Birch's comment, too, about opportunities to experience the sport as a player is, is really important, too. So we've talked about exposure, but opportunity. And so we've mentioned that 
if you see it as a fan, you watch the men's game in particular with its physicality, it's a hook. I think we're seeing kids that if they have the opportunity to play it, it's really, really fun. And so um, I think those are the things that I'm, I'm most excited about. They, they talk about the most popular sports and why. And soccer is number one. And it's because, and you can see this, you can be in a favela in Brazil and tie a ball of rags together and the kids are out and in, they're playing in a dirt lot. Yeah, yeah. And then you have basketball, which all you need is yourself and a hoop and a ball. And volleyball is probably the next one down. And you need a net and a ball and you probably need two people. Um, but y- you can you can make it happen with just a rope <laughs> and try throw the ball over the rope. And so there are some reasons why if we continue to work intentionally on growing the game and, and offering this opportunity to kids, there's a lot of them that are going to find that this is what they want to do. And when that happens, then we're, we're going to continue to see this grow. Kevin, with, uh, when you're recruiting players right now, are, are there – discussions more and more about opportunities well if I do well here at Ohio State what are my opportunities going forward how can you help me with that are those part of your recruiting discussions now yeah and I'm sure it's the same for these guys I mean I think what, what I don't have really to compare it to is you know when you guys were playing how many how many guys were aspiring or even thinking of playing pro but I'd say at least half our recruits discussed you know the dream of playing pro and playing overseas after they're done playing so you know I think certainly all the factors that were mentioned have a big factor you know in that increase um but certainly the opportunity and the accessibility to the media and being able to watch has a big part of it you know it, it came to fruition at penn state i think you know 1998 when uh, after winning the championship you know i'm sorry 2008 after winning the championship matt anderson decides to go play professionally and i think i think it caught a lot of people and at least in our world in volleyball off guard it's like oh that's even an opportunity and so just think where we've come from 2008 to 2022, and now like, it's part of the conversation over half of the recruits. Uh, it is. I think all of us go through that. And, and I think, you know, like Jeff had mentioned earlier, the, the physicality level of the, the grassroots level that we're recruiting from, you, you look at somebody and you say, yeah, that's an arm, or, you know, that's somebody that's touching 12 feet that you can't coach. And I think there are more and more of those kids coming. And then on top of that, you know, what what Jeff and John have done in their international and Olympic careers is, you know, you have two, two guys that are two of the most friendliest people out there. They're willing to answer any question, be part of any. And that's bled over to this current generation of international players. Max, Maddie, Aaron, you know, we know. Mm-hmm. We'll do whatever we ask them to do with with young kids and and our teams, and you know I think it's the same with with the Bruins and the Trojans that are out there too. And I just think that that this, we said it earlier the the friendliness, the social fabric that that volleyball and specifically the men's game is made of, I think is really coming back to help us in this in this era of growth. Hey Dean, can I hop in here on this? Absolutely, please. Talking about access and seeing what could be accomplished after your career. And right. I, as everyone was talking, I just realized that last year we had several players that were – Danny Matheny was our fifth middle on our roster. He's playing professionally mm-hmm. in, in Denmark right now. Wow. Ian Parrish was our fourth middle. He's playing professionally in the Netherlands right now. Uh, Sam Berge was our fourth and then our third at the end of the season outside hitter, and now he's playing in Israel. So here are some opportunities for guys that didn't even weren't the All-Americans, didn't right. even start – their whole careers and had opportunities to go play overseas. So I think that's that's the point that yeah. you were trying to get to is 
there is a lot more opportunities for for young men to go and experience Europe and play professionally before they come back and start their their lives. 20 minutes into this conversation, we're flying through here. I want to just do a quick reset. We're talking with Jeff Nygaard, the head coach of USC, John Sparaw, the head coach of UCLA, Kevin Birch, the head coach of Ohio State, and Mark Pavlik, the head coach of Penn State. This is the Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge uh, roundtable discussion with these gentlemen. Uh, We've been talking kind of far-reaching and kind of overall volleyball, but I want to talk now about the men's game and specifically about the men's collegiate game because as we sit here, we're on the verge of those two gentlemen coming to the Big Ten in a couple of years with their two programs, USC and UCLA, and uh, a potential shift in the paradigm of what we're going to do conference-wise in this sport or how we're going to look at the sport. We've grown the sport. We've added uh, uh, some conferences. We're now up to seven teams that make the NCAA championship over a week-long uh, situation between Divisions One and Divisions Two. Are we at the cusp of uh, changing the dynamic in terms of conferences or alignment? Uh, I know there's talk about going east versus west. There's all kinds of things out there. So let's just uh, run it. Who's Who's got the magic ball? Who is going to know what this looks like collegiately in two years? Who's got the answers? Anybody? Oh, they're all pointing to Pav. Go, Pav. Uh, I, I think I think there's a couple of things. Uh, twenty, the twenty-four NCAA championship is up to twelve, so we'll have twelve teams now that have a pathway to the NCAA men's volleyball championships. What that looks like has yet to be determined. In terms of automatic versus uh, automatic qualifiers, and then at large, and that kind of thing, or format in total. The, the format in total. We'll, we'll have a. a field of 12 teams and however that's going to be distributed with conference champions with at-larges the NCAA will follow its own rules that they have in place for pathways that are required for for various teams or and then on top of that are we I, I guess the big question is are we finally going to be comparable to other NCAA championships where there are regionals that feed into a Final four, final six, whatever they decide to do. So I think that's exciting. I think we're we're all kind of waiting to see what kind of input we can give on that. Uh, I think the other thing, uh, as specifically as far as uh, Big Ten men's volleyball goes, uh, you know, I think with the success that the Big Ten has had with women's volleyball, where they know they have a crowd, a volleyball crowd there, and like these guys have said earlier, you get you get somebody into a high level men's match. They're hooked. The physicality is different. And I think that um, hopefully we have some uh, forward-thinking athletic directors and presidents and chancellors in the Big Ten that can sit there and say, you know, this is the fastest-growing high school sport in the country. We're, everybody recognizes the, the big drop-off that's coming in high school population that I think a lot of colleges are going to be trying to make sure that they're when, prepared for. Explain that drop-off. What do you mean? Well, the the number of kids that are out there that are going to be considering college, is, it's hitting a wall that's they're going to be a lot more competition for those for the brains out there. Okay. So anything I think colleges can do to make themselves more attractive, and sometimes uh, – Adding sports, adding popular sports are, are going to be part of that for uh, schools that that are enrollment-driven. And I know we have some of those in the Big Ten that don't have the 40,000 that we have. But 
I think um, that's going to play a role in this. And, and I think men's volleyball can add to a university standing, can add to the mission that that particular university is, is looking for. Uh, like I said, I think some forward-looking ADs and chancellors and presidents with the help of probably the, the men's coaches and the women's coaches over the, the next couple of years. It, it, would be, it would be fun to have a Big Ten men's volleyball championship. I mean, the four of us in this room would be, we'd get to see each other at least twice a year, if not more. <laughs> you guys uh, up for that? Kevin, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, I remember that we were at Nationals this last summer when we found out that you guys were joining the Big Ten and I, I, my, my phone blew up. I don't know about you guys. I'm sure it did, too. I mean, the, the level of excitement for the sport and for the possibility of Big Ten men's volleyball was, was off the charts and still is. And I think there's a lot of people that are really excited and you know about the idea of it. And those, those same people are working really hard to, to keep it top of mind. Um, you know, the, I talked to our, our men's lacrosse coach, who they followed a similar path going to the Big Ten. Right. And he had a pretty interesting stat that, you know, the five years before they went Big Ten for men's across, they had five nationally televised games. The first five years they were in the Big Ten, they had 48 nationally televised games. So, I mean, just the amount of exposure that I can give our sport is, with our brands, the way it already is, is, you know, off the charts. So that's the perspective east of the Mississippi on this. Let's go west. John, your thoughts? Personally, I thought it was bold and visionary. Um, I didn't know anything about it like most people. And uh, my wife showed me the the Instagram that went out, <laughs> and she and it said Big Ten with you know the blue and gold, and I was I literally was just ecstatic. I mean ecstatic at, at what that was for our institution, for the opportunities for our game and volleyball at, at our school, but also more broadly. Uh, I think there. You started off with your question, Dean, about what do we all think is going to happen here? Who has the magic ball? I think a lot of people would like to have that magic ball for right. the collegiate <laughs> sports landscape. Because we need it by next year, don't we? I mean, I, uh, we need it by 2024. There's a lot of, of, of real uncertainty about the collegiate sport landscape in general. Um, but I, I think we just have to stay focused on what we can do for our game and, and how we continue to, to grow it. I mean, it's so interesting because... There's so much uncertainty, and yet there's so much opportunity with our game. That's how you started off this podcast. This is the the game is exploding. Yet there's uncertainty about how Olympic sports will fit in when football players are potentially employees. Where does that leave Olympic sports? So there's some big, big questions. At the same time, where you have CVC Capital and where you have exploding growth on the boys' side, where you have arenas that are being filled on the women's side, and we we feel like we can access that fan base where you now have all these iconic brands coming to the Big Ten. That now if you have Big Ten men's volleyball, that would be the biggest thing that would happen in, in men's vo- collegiate men's volleyball in the United States. I know World of Volleyball is interested in Big Ten men's volleyball um, content. They want our matches, so they, they would love to see it. So this is such an opportunity for us. We're all really excited about it. We're all, I think, probably at times a little apprehensive about where everything is going and if you find that magic ball, we'd like to have another podcast. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll schedule it right away. Yeah. Jeff, same thoughts or, or a little different view? Because I know not everybody is in lockstep with all of this. Well, the way that I'd look at this is we're all talking about the growth of our game as status quo and then the inertia of a Big Ten where it could be a flagship in a lot of ways where you've merged all four media markets and we're in NIL space and – the unlocked potential of the production that we could 
tie into with what the Big Ten women's side of the game is. And again, exposure and the professionalism that it just presents our sport with that would come along with that. I just I see the potential of that as being something that's uncharted. Like again, like the Magic Eight Ball. So what do, what does that even look like? But I know there's some smart people that are working at above and below all different layers, and that's something that's been really interesting to me is to see how many different layers go into a decision like this. But there's so much momentum at so many of those layers. Can this happen? Will this happen? How does this happen? That we just got to be ready for it. Are you getting any input from former athletes or current athletes about this and what they want uh, or uh, how they can get involved? I mean, this, this to me, volleyball is a group effort in terms of advancing it. And um, we've got a lot of alumni now who are done well in their careers and have some influence in those kinds of things. So is that one of the places that you're going to get this support to, to get the right fit? I think if you look at the... Uh more visionary slash older alum they have a sense of how big this could be for our sport and then as you go down to like the student athletes of the day where they're more interested in how does this impact them for their studies how does it impact things for travel um and just today to me this trip alone is a litmus test in a lot of different ways for a sense of how that would actually go right we go to penn state but my feedback to the administration was, I don't think it's going to be that impactful because we can be smart about scheduling. It doesn't mean that we have to go out to Penn State one day and then come back the next week and go to Ohio State. We can toggle it such that it's one trip east, one trip west for everybody, and we can get like something in, in both swings. So it's not that impactful. And, and we're doing that. We've been doing that exactly. already. We already got the template in place. Yeah. So it's like it's not going to be that catastrophic from that standpoint. And, yes, we do need to bring jackets so that we can come out and be warm. <laughs> but I don't see it being that impactful. I think them being smart enough with their ability to market themselves with the NLSPS, all those things, they're going to very quickly see the, the potential of things from that standpoint. Well, I think that's been a key, too, to all of this is the amount of – uh, back and forth, not only by players, I brought that up with Kevin earlier, but the teams that have been willing to come. You know, uh, the West Coast teams have been always willing to come in the last decade or two, a trip or two. Pav's always taken his team out one week, gone to Hawaii. And so that cross-country exposure over the last um, several years has been great for the sport, I think helped grow it. And certainly, as you said, has provided the template and the blueprint for what we may be doing here in the future, John. Sure, I, and I think it really is probably the last ten years, huh, Pav? I don't, I don't remember it being happening before that, but it seems like we've been more willing to do that. Um, now you have asynchronous classes; they can all online. I, I really, I'm with Jeff. I don't, I know there's been a lot of, there has been on our side, uh, some criticisms of the move to the Big Ten. I think you see some old um, viewpoints of the Pac-12, and I think a lot of nostalgia for the Pac-12 and those rivalries within that that conference and people are reluctant to leave and I, I see that I, I can understand that there's a lot of history there I just look at the landscape and how much it's changing and I've been trying to really focus on that over the last few years because I really want this sport to succeed and we, I think we need to pay attention and for me this is this was a an absolute no-brainer for us this is what we needed to do and we need to find solutions and we'll find solutions we'll figure out how to to schedule we'll We'll buy the jackets. We'll, we'll, we'll do what we need to do. This is, I agree. This is this is not that complicated. Kids have gone to professors with letters saying, hey, I'm traveling for years. And so the trip will be a little bit longer and they'll have online classes. You should see 
what my guys were doing, even studying for midterms this week. They have their iPads. It's crazy what technology right. has done to changing the study environment. They have their iPads while they have a lecture that's going on, on their computer and they're taking notes and they've got concurrent windows going up and they're not, it's amazing. It's amazing what they're capable of doing on the road and, and still, still accessing education, still moving their career forward. And, um, I, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's all good. Yeah. Kevin is, uh, is, is the opportunity to compete at that highest level with these additional great teams. I mean, that's got to be a selling point now for you to go out on the road. And is, is, is can you feel that excitement from the recruits and the people that are, are coming up and saying, oh, my goodness, this is going to be an amazing opportunity to be at Ohio State. And now we're going to bring these great teams even more so into our gym. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you have our brands in one gym, it's 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 exciting for everybody involved. And certainly, it's been that way for our recruits. It's been that way for our alumni, for our donors. It's you know, and those those alumni and donors are going to play a big factor in whether we're able to do this or not. Because even with the technology, we're still going to need funds to to get it off the ground and get going. So, you know, the, the amount of support and excitement from recruits, players, alum, administration. Administration's been great about it. You know, they've, they've kept an open mind and, you know, want to try and make it work. And, you know, I think that's probably the most exciting part to me is just, you know, how much is being talked about. And, you know, you know, again, it's when there's a will, there's a way. And there certainly seems to be a will from a lot of people involved. What uh, the, is is there like a fire burning under that there's a, a, a good push from all these people? I know like you guys can't really too much worry about that right now. You're in the heart of your season. But uh, are you checking in on this path with with your administration and other people in, in these levels to have these discussions? Is it is that how much of a part of your day is that now? I think it's it's always an underlying part. Um, you know, once we get into the season, that kind of everything takes a back seat to that. But you know, for us, Pat Kraft has been here. He and I have talked about it. Even uh, when the news broke, when Sandy Barber was here, she and I talked about it. I think that constant, if we can keep it on the front burner and just make sure that the decision makers can forward their advocacy to the people above them, that can help make the decision. Um, that's probably where I see our role as being. You know, if it were up to us for, I think we're in. Nygaard has the schedule all set up. Spira has the park is ordered. You know, we're we're good to go. Um, but I but as we know that there are people that are going to make the decision that are above us, and hopefully we can provide them with the necessary information to make it a, a really good decision. Anybody else, uh, before I move on to something else, thoughts about this, uh, volleyball's future on the college level? Uh, excited about this, Dean. Excited about the potential of Big Ten men's volleyball and just figuring out a way to help make that happen. And whether that's talking to our ADs, whether that's fundraising, uh, I, I don't know exactly what that process will ultimately entail, but I know all four of us are, are enthusiastic about doing anything we can to make it happen. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about opportunities to learn and play that, that you would like to see uh, improved on the level. So, um, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more opportunities, but we can continue to grow that. So where do we need? We're, we're hearing more and more um, high schools adding. We're hearing more and more state sanctioning high school. Where is there still more opportunity to expose young people to this amazing game? John, we'll start with you. Um, 
Boy, that's a great question. And my mind, especially because I've been so involved in it, is just what we're planning on doing moving forward with the First Point Volleyball Foundation, which we haven't talked about a whole lot yet. So let's explain that. Yeah, we, we started a, um, a foundation five years ago that was trying to actually say, okay, if we intentionally put financial resources towards growing the sport, would that work? Can we do that? And it's proven to be, I think, remarkably successful. Um, We've added over 60 scholarships for boys volleyball over the last five years. We've raised a little over $4 million to do that. We've added a number of even Division I programs. There was someone that I really respected in the sport that told me when we first got started, if you added one Division I program, this would be the biggest home run that's ever happened. And I think we've added five, and uh, and not not only that, but D twos and D threes and NAIA and and our high school advocacy committee has been very impactful on a number of these states that were sanctioned this last year. Kenny Rogers, our board member, really led the charge there, and Wade Gerard, our CEO, has just done a phenomenal job. We have an incredible board, so we've essentially uh, are wrapping up what we're terming Fund One, which is this five year process where we we've proven our bona fides and we want, we've proven that this is, this effort is going to make a difference. Now it's not only big 10 men's volleyball, but you have the Olympics in, in Los Angeles in 2028, which is, we all know a huge boost to the potential exposure that we originally were talking about for our game. And so what can we do for that? And, and our board is now uh, planning fund two and what what can that fund be and and we raised four a little over four million in the first five years but we're looking maybe something bigger somewhere around the, the, the number around 20 and see if we can raise 20 million dollars to go out there and really hit it out of the ballpark like really hit it out of the ballpark and to me that's for me the next phase how do we look at the next six years how do we go towards LA how do we use that moment in time to, to really have this exponential growth this tipping point for our game and so that that's where my mind goes dean and of course once i go there i've got a lot to talk about <laughs> yeah, there's, <laughs> it, there's a lot of things that go through my mind for about two and a half hours yeah, i don't right. know if we have enough uh, so tape i don't know anymore. if you want to dive into some of that <laughs> i would like to say thank you to all the coaches here i think the men's game in general has always been very collegial i think we've all been on the same page about how we support the same rules as the national team so our, our players can go and make a seamless entry into the international game. Uh, I think we have conversations like this where we're, we're really interested, I think genuinely, authentically, in, in the growth of a game that we all really love and we want to give back to. First point, nobody knew what it was when it first started, and I think a lot of coaches were um, very supportive of anything that might work, and it's proven to be successful, and I just am Grateful for everybody for pulling on the same rope. Well, we appreciate your work on that as well. Jeff, are there places in the country? I mean, you live and coach in a, in a very volleyball-centric place. So are there place, more places like that that we can get to to get great players for this sport? I think the best way that I could orchestrate and answer that question is just to share a story of uh, I was involved in a high performance in Iowa, and there's a, a connectivity. My wife played volle- uh, volleyball there, so... I was able to go there as be a lead for the USA for their high performance. And the first year that I was there, they had just started boys volleyball high performance. And you literally had to teach them how to rotate. And putting a ball in and getting two contacts was just not going to happen. And you fast forward 10 years, they were competing for gold in the open division. And so it's there's a template out there for creating successful volleyball. 
And it took Iowa 10 years. And hearing all of these startups and all these different high school spaces, it's, it's about a 10-year uh, trajectory to becoming at a level that's going to be able to compete just with the talent alone, just with the growth alone. So when you go into a space like a Puerto Rico and you're looking for what could be next, and they have a professional league there as well, so they have a little bit of that, but some of the best players out of Puerto Rico have gone on to play in Italy, have gone on to play in uh, other countries that you could consider to be top level. So there is those diamonds in the rough, so to speak. Maybe you're asking how do you create that to be more of the norm and how do you elevate it to that, and that's a larger conversation, but I think you've seen it in a number of different countries like I, w- I, I don't want to reach too far here, but I think Italy and Russia are considered the top two leagues in the nation or the world right now. What did they do to get to that space? They've been at the top for a long period of time. They're courting it. What is the support? What is the infrastructure? How do they continue to orchestrate that? I think there's a template that can be utilized there for growth and creating that top level. How do they balance their league to be... Uh, you know, somewhat domestic with their domestic players, and then what kind of level do they bring in the the, uh, the foreign players? Yeah, but let's touch on that because they have the Champions League, and I, if, when I played, it was the Champions League and the Cup of Cups, and that means like the top teams of each right. country got together and competed for something in that, and then something like this Big Ten potentiality has the smackings or the, the touching of a Big Ten slash maybe a Champions League. Can we orchestrate a, here, let's put these groups together early in the season. Let's put these teams together early in the season. There's ways to market that. There's ways to grow that. There's all kinds of different things that could spawn from that. And I know I'm just kind of off on the No, I'm a, this, I'm a big Premier League uh, soccer well, football go. fan. So I think, you know, and I think a lot of ways college athletics is starting to go in that model. You're right, where, you know, you've got different levels. And, and, and so... Um, I think that's an, an exciting way to look at it. I think it's a little different to the average person who's been in college athletics that's thought about that amateurism and all that stuff, but we're, we're way past that in a lot of ways. And for somebody who's been here at Penn State for 35, 40 years, I kind of gave up that ghost a long time ago that you know this is a whole new world. And I think that's part of it too is educating our fan base that still wants to hold on to that idea, oh, these are – kids that are just doing it for fun no there's there's a lot more to that uh, maybe Kevin pick up on that a little bit yeah I mean it's uh it's interesting I was last night I was thinking that the Penn State crowd was as educated of a volleyball crowd as I've as I've seen in the Midwest or East Coast so um credit to your fans and your your home crowd but um you know I think it, again it goes back to the exposure of the sport you know I think uh the you know whether it's volleyball world YouTube or whatever it might be there's a lot of different creative ways to to educate people in the sport. I think, uh, you know, I go back to coach education, to your original question of, you know, how what's something I'd like to see more with the growth of the sport at the high school level. You know, I think we can do more coach education to because, again, I, for example, I was really, really lucky. I got to coach and learn how to coach from some of the best coaches in, in the country at Pablo Obey and Travis Turner and Rich Polk. And, you know, a lot of those, you know, the kids out in the Midwest and East Coast don't have those same opportunities, but they're good opportunities to play now. If we can get coach education to you know, help them learn from at the highest level. I think it's only going to help that exposure. Yeah. Uh, going back to the original question about areas, I think the big one that probably has us most excited is Texas. Mm. Uh, I think Texas is is an area that I would not be surprised in that t- in the next ten years. Uh, you know, you've got Merrick in in your lineup. Third year, fourth. Can we get rid of him? No, <laughs> Mike tonight. No, I'm gonna <laughs> find him another COVID year. <laughs> I, I don't. I think he's. I don't think he should play tonight. Okay. Just, 
<laughs> but uh, but I think that's we're looking at Texas. We're looking at some of again. I'll go back to my Title IX um, factor. I think we're looking at areas that have historically been very good with girls high school, girls club, and those younger brothers being drug along that turn out to be athletes that at the age of seven or eight are at a tournament and with their 11-year-old sister, they say, I'll pepper with you. And uh, so I'm excited to see where Texas leads and kind of the entire true Midwest, the the area that seems to be the boundary between East and Missouri West. is growing. I'm seeing Louis, like yeah, it's St. funny Louis. because when I do the rosters and look at the rosters, I notice that stuff. Missouri, St. Louis area, both men and women's side. And and I think you know, in answering the original question, Dean, when you do look at the rosters now, I think you look at all of our teams and, and teams across the country and you see more of a various areas of the country represented on rosters than ever before. And a lot of foreign players coming here now, too, which that's I, I love that because they bring a, a different aspect that uh, our domestic players can learn. Uh, we're getting long in the tooth here. Let's uh, do one more subject, and that subject is we're going to go around the table and what you personally, each person, are going to do in the next several months to grow the game what are you going to do jeff nygaard to grow the game to grow the game to grow this game to grow this game to make it to to be the you know they call soccer the beautiful game i think those of us that are in volleyball think it's a pretty beautiful game as well i think one of the things that uh we've really explored with our group and our team is that social media area Mm. and just the exposure of it's not even just the wins and losses it's who are the human beings that are in the sport that we love? And it's just here's the day-to-day what we do. Here's them enjoying the things that they love about this game and then getting it out on our platform so that there's an exposure and accessibility for the people that want to attach to it. And that's something that, especially in my day, didn't even exist. So now that's a huge part of just the lives of the young athletes that we have, and we're giving them more and more opportunities to be invested in that. Um just the infrastructure we have just within our team itself is like every day is like who do we want to have out there and who gets this opportunity and what are they providing in terms of content that we can put out there. So from that standpoint, just adding value to their own personal brands, to their own experience, having them have that opportunity just to enjoy being a student athlete and what does that all mean, that's a great space for these young men to explore. Speaking of social media, we were commenting on Coach Sparrow's social. It's, you're 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 killing it on the social media game, there, Coach. Of late, it's awesome, right? A lot of support. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, I agree with Jeff. I think the social media piece is really really important, and I think we all wanted for years and years. I'm sure Pav and I talked about it over the years. Just how come we can't be on ESPN? How come? Well, you had to pay for that time. You had to right. pay for that exposure in order to get it going. And now even you've... even the NCAA level for a long time, they had to pay almost to get that that slot to get the, the championships right. on. Yeah, and I, I still feel like we need more of that from that NC2A support. I would prefer that. But here we have a control over our own means of exposure, advertising, and it's right there in social media. And I think we need to. I know I'm speaking for myself. I needed to understand that space a lot more. So the way for me to understand that space more was to dive in. And so now I, I really have. It's. I tell you what. It's fascinating. And uh, I don't know how I feel about it. Ultimately, I think 
there's there's the aspect of social media which I think has potentially a negative impact on the performance of our athletes because they're worried about ex- external expectations. There's the aspect of social media which is, hey, look at me, look at me, which is I have, you know really have a hard time with. I I do too. Um, but there is this opportunity to share what we're doing. There is an opportunity to to tell a, an audience that loves volleyball, this is when we're playing our match. Mm. This is what our program is about. Recruits want to find out what are what are our values, what is our culture, how, how do we share that through social media? Because that's how that's how they that's how they receive messages these days. It's it's trying to it's me trying to figure out how to meet them where they are. You Strike know, a balance, to be right? A dog, it's, it's a balance know. thing to me, right? Totally. Yeah. And so yeah, in terms of growing the game over the next thirty day or ninety days, is that what you said? Three Several months. Several months, whatever. We'll, you know, we have an executive board meeting for first point in there the middle go. of March. Uh, I talk to Wade just about every day. So if it's a few months, I'll talk to Wade another 90 times mm. about what we can do to grow the game and uh, add a couple board members, raise a little bit more money, and see if we can deploy that in a way that, that gives boys more opportunities to see and play our game. Kevin Birch, something that you've been thinking about to grow the game. What can Kevin Birch do? Well, I mean – Come to my point earlier about coach education. You know, we're in Ohio's in a unique situation where, again, we're, we get 40 new high school programs this year alone. So it's, I mean, John's done an unbelievable job of of growing the sport from the grassroots level. But especially in our situation, how can I make sure that we're, you know, educating these coaches to really, you know, expand that growth even more and give these kids great opportunities to learn? Um, so you know, doing coaches clinics for as cheap as possible. You know, doing doing clinics that you know are gonna have CPR certification, things like that, they're going to increase the likelihood that, you know, those coaches will stick to it and the 80s will stick to the, their commitment to have those programs. Um, in addition to the, you know, to the, the media exposure, uh, I think it's, it's super impactful. But I think one thing that we can do too is try to get these matches on Big Ten Network. Pav and I have talked a lot about that. I think that's, you know, the more exposure we can get on TV, the better off we're going to be. Absolutely. Pat. Kind of going off of what Kev just mentioned, I think one of the things that we want to do here is continue to market the physicality of the men's game. I mean, last night... Service you, speed and, yeah, and how high it. people are jumping sure. would be a real cool thing to watch. Last night in the Bruin-Buckeye match, there are three Bruins out there that hit serves at 70-plus. Mm. And and from, from Did they have to come along tonight, too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, one, and one of the things uh, in, from the Olympics, when they flash the serving speeds on, the highest one I saw was Zaitsev at you know, about 76 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. What's the highest you've seen? I thought that one that he got in in Rio was closer to 80. Was it 80? But I, I don't know because I try not to think about yeah. it too much. It's like <laughs> I'm trying not to think about what we're going to face tonight. But, but you know, we've, we've got the radar gun. We've got the display if it's not knocked out tonight. But I think, I think we've got to show that the collegiate men's game, is, especially to that to the young grassroots, it's, you get bigger, stronger, faster. And, and I think that you sell the physicality of the men's game. Jeff and I were talking about it on the ride over here, and Jeff said, you know, you could probably tie in all the information you get from the catapult system or the vert system to where now you can throw, up, throw something up that shows Dylan Klein at a, at a 40-inch vertical hitting a ball right so I, we got to find way at, at least in my opinion we have to find ways to market how special 
the physicality is in the men's game. Because those the, the kids are used to that on their video games, right? You know, when they score, when I score on FIFA, I can see all the the how I scored with the right angle and the speed and all of that stuff. And so they're kind of ingrained to that. That's 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 kind of an interesting thing that by marketing the physicality through. You know, we know in baseball, a hundred mile per hour fastball is a fast, you know, is a fast pitch. You know, get people to understand what that is like in volleyball in terms of what what the parameters are. In yeah, the, they so. see what they see. You know, can we tell them what they're seeing? Right. And I think that's the big challenge that we all have. I think there's a lot of components to that, Dean. Yeah. I mean, how we televise the matches is really, really important. You need good uh, people to explain it on the television That's or on exactly the feed. Right. And, and, yes. and I think uh, we, we need better of that overall. Agreed. I'll, we, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'd like to, to get more involved need in more that good kind people, of stuff. All right, yeah. And we need better television angles and people that understand. I think we need slow motion. I know we've all talked about instant replay quite a bit. It, it, right now it's a deterrence, I think, to fan engagement. Right, now, But we can turn that if we do it right. Mm. And they've done that internationally. Mm-hmm. And so putting it up on the big board so that everybody can see like what the referee... Like tennis now does, right? With the, with that's the right. Hawkeye stuff, And right? the Hawkeye is a little expensive, and I know that that may be prohibitive for a lot of programs. But I, I think if you put that up on the board so that everybody could see it, so they're sitting there in their chair and, and understanding what it is. And not only that, but then they see the slow-motion physicality. That's one thing you see on an instant replay mm. on the touch is the guy's heads are above the <laughs> yeah. head, you know. And so I think that that would also, I think, aid to the marketing of how, how we, we show our game. Well, we've come to the end, believe it or not. That was a fast almost hour. So I want to go around the room, final thoughts. Uh, Jeff, this was the first time – well, it's not the first time you've been here as a coach, but you've never, you never played at Rec Hall, which I thought was interesting, no, right? And neither of you, right, no. as players. So, no. um, you know, Birch mentioned our great volleyball fans. It's a special place. And so I think uh, – are, are you looking forward to coming back here more often now with this uh, situation coming up with uh, you guys joining the Big Ten? 100%. I love going to gyms that resonate with volleyball. Uh, you could just pick a, a place across the nation. It's like you go to Hawaii, and the fans there alone are so educated on the game that you just love playing there, and it's a privilege. And we actually got to play in the Stan Sheriff the uh, year that opened. Yeah, so, right. I mean, there's a lot of memories there. So oh, coming well. to a place that has an institutionalized love of the game, and it's a pavilion that promotes the sport well, great lighting from a production standpoint. I mean, just alone, you just put it out there on TV, and it just – that's a good volleyball product. So, no, I love coming here. Yeah. I love going to, to Ohio State. I love playing at UCLA for more than obvious reasons. So, hmm. yeah, I just love volleyball. It's like you just give me a, a rectangle and a net and a ball, I'm happy. And there's this family feel of this sport uh, like no other. And, John, I know uh, you've experienced that on all levels. So that's that's what makes this special to me, right? It is. And even sharing my own family with the experience. Yeah, I, I love m- my girls, Brooklyn and Haley, running around the court after the volleyball mm. match. But I think that that general feel that we have in this room, Pav calls us up. We're going to do a podcast and talk about how we're going to look and grow the game. and Wickedly early in the morning after uh, a match, uh, with taking time, time away from yeah, passing, serving, scouting, right? All that stuff, right? I think it's something that we all really enjoy. I mean, I think yeah. we genuinely enjoy each other's company, and, and we are all really, I think, supportive. We all love the game. It's given us our careers, all these experiences that we've all shared, and I think all of us would like to, to share that opportunity with someone that's going to come after us, and I think we're all engaged in that process. And and part of that, Kevin, you're the youngest guy here, but yet, you know, like you said, you 
were amongst coaches, older, more experienced coaches that have always been willing to share. And that's the other part of this. Nobody, nobody in this side of the sport, I feel, tries to hold anything back. It's like, I don't have the secret sauce and I don't want to, I don't want to share it with you. We discuss what works for us and give those ideas out freely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, these are, these types of matches are the, the matches that you remember at the end of the year for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because we get along really well. We like spending time together and learning from each other. I mean, I think we can all say that we've learned a ton from just whether it's watching video or asking questions or there's so many things that we can learn from each other. And uh, I think that's the, the greatest part about our sport and our side of the sport. But um, but yeah, I think for our student athletes, too, this is this is again, this is the, the weekend that, you know, they remember quite a bit. And these are great memories and great experiences. So it's and it's always fun to, to be able to provide that for our guys. And I know, Pep, you're proud to show off Penn State and uh, its volleyball acumen and how we like to put on these kinds of events. I know that makes you proud. I, and I, I've learned something. I've, I finally have been searching all my life to have something in common with the two great players that these guys were internationally, uh-huh. Olympically. Yeah, when I played at Penn State, I never played at Rec Hall either. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, on that note... For my good friends, Jeff Nygaard, John Sparall, Kevin Birch, and Mark Pavlik, it's been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed it. Lots of great discussion. And we hope that you get out and support men's volleyball on the collegiate level, whatever level. If you've got questions, they will be happy to answer them, I'm sure. Just uh, contact us, and we really enjoyed this. For all of us, with the Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge and our roundtable this year, we thank you for joining us. I'm Dean DeVore. Have a great day. Thanks for supporting men's volleyball.